Welcome to the American Cinematographer Podcast. Go behind the scenes with today's top filmmakers as they discuss the techniques they bring to the art of motion imaging. Hi, this is Ian Stasikevich, and thanks for joining me on another American Cinematographer podcast. In this episode, I sit down with Director of Photography Fred Murphy ASC to talk about his Emmy-nominated work on the CBS television series The Good Wife. And now, on to the interview. Fred, you've described your approach to shooting The Good Wife as poetic realism. What does that mean? Well, it means that it's somewhat real in that it's somewhat source-based and uh, but that it's far more elegant and and far more shall we say glamorous than um, realistic photography you know it's a, basically i'm filming a kind of glamorous world so it's done in a kind of glamorous way almost like fashion photography actually so what happens to realism Realism is more that I pay attention to source, where the light's coming from, and what kind of light it is, and how light or dark it should be, given the circumstances they may be in, the characters are in, you know, whether it's night or whether you're in a basement or whether you're in a ballroom. You know, it's all based on sort of that. What, but then it, that is taken and sort of raised up a little bit and glamorized a little bit and glossed a little bit, I would say. So is that to say that it's, it's less realistic and more stylized? Well, yeah. I would say it's, yeah, it's definitely stylized. Definitely more stylized. But one man's style is, could be another man's realism. What are some of your visual references? Uh, mostly, mostly it's old movies. Uh, uh, unlikely old movies like The Maltese Falcon or The Big Sleep, sort of film noir movies that don't bear direct relationship to what I'm doing, but have basically the idea that you're not seeing things, you're not always seeing, seeing things directly, cameras are always low, as much as possible anyway, and things are as rich and dark as I can make them. And the other influence I would say would be Bertolucci movies is another major influence. The conformist being the major, the sort of major influence with the sort of rich, complicated color and deep images, deep, rich images. So I'd say that you know, the conformist... Sometimes The Last Tango in Paris, but I would say more of the conformist movies of that nature, as opposed to my other favorite kinds of movies like Conrad Hall movies like Fat City, which is sort of the opposite of what I'm doing. You know, Fat City, more, not more realistic necessarily, but far more stretched and pushed and dark. And, uh, and this is more like the conformist, more on, rich, visible, but not bright. There are some particularly powerful women characters on this show. Uh, what is your approach to lighting these women? Uh, 
Well, mostly very large sources, very close is usually the most, is usually what I do in all this, as close as I can get them, as large as I can get them. Uh, mostly we use large bounced sources, double bounced usually, bounced into a muslin and then back through a full grid cloth and brought as close to the person as can possibly be done, considering, depend, depends on the shot, of course, but, and that's the usually way I do it, and not always flat, not, not flat, actually not flat at all, but the idea is more that you can get somebody, somebody's skin and clothes and everything else to come alive if you kind of surround them with light. Is that an affectation? Do you want to make them look powerful? Uh, well, that, that's a different thing. Lighting doesn't, well, lighting usually doesn't make somebody look powerful. It makes them look good. Powerful, no. That's more camera angle. Um, yeah, we do a lot of low angles. I guess that's part of it. No, I just want to make them look interesting. When I was on set uh, a couple months ago, you, you showed me another large soft source that uh, was made by uh, your Grip and Electric team. I, I don't recall the name of that fixture it was a scorpion a stinger does that sound familiar no maybe a termite a termite <laughs> a termite the reason it's called a termite is because it has a lot of holes drilled in it to keep it from catching on fire but uh basically we built a lot of our own we built a lot of homes a lot of homemade lights uh, basically we built kind of trough lights out of wood mostly luon that with um, a series of uh, household bulbs in them that are used as either key lights or backlights and put up. They're very light and very soft. So they're very good for this sort of, this sort of lighting. Mostly this is combined with very large scale 12 by 12, 12 by 20 sources that are usually bounced fey lights. There are also a lot of powerful male characters in this show as well. Uh, do you approach them any differently? No, not really. Usually it's just a little more contrast. There's more contrast. I mean, I use the same lights. It's just more contrast. And basically contrast is achieved with this kind when you're using this sort of large-scale lighting is by making it off-axis so the light is coming you know, from the side even past the side, so that you, you have contrast even though you have a large, you know, large, basically very soft source. And that allows you to actually shoot with almost, with no fill or very little fill because the source wraps around the person's face and fills them in a little bit on the dark side if you need that. But basically men are just filmed with much more contrast. This is a, a multi-camera show. You shoot with two or three cameras. Most of the time, two, occasionally three. Do large, soft sources make it easier to do coverage? Uh, yes, and also, also easier if you're using multiple cameras because usually things look good uh, fairly close as well as wide so that you can actually shoot several shots simultaneously and they all look good. Um, and it makes it much easier. You can just simply move in and continue, continue shooting if you're shooting in the same direction without relighting in any kind of way. So just simply by usually flagging or 
adding more diffusion or some, but some quick, which is necessary in this sort of work. Do you try to build your lighting into the sets and locations? Well, that's another thing, actually. The sets, a great deal of lighting has already been designed into the sets um, in the form of practical lights. But mostly these aren't lights to light the characters. These are lights to light the background and uh, the architecture. So there's a great deal of cans, strategically placed cans, strategically placed uh, false fluorescents that are made using light bulbs instead of real fluorescent bulbs um, that are all of, that have been carefully thought out and placed in ways that we think are going to work and actually seem to work very well. So basically the backgrounds of the sets are often lit by what appear to be practicals carefully placed practicals that we built into the sets to make them work, and other odds and ends like skylights, so that we could just simply light the backgrounds with, by turning on a series of lights as opposed to a series of practical lights as opposed to having backlights, side lights, etc., to light the walls or the floors or the, or the background characters. Certain episodes, depending on what's happening in the story, tend to have a very subtle different look. Uh, some might be darker than others, uh, depending on what's happening uh, with the characters. Uh, what impacts your work more? Is it the story or the physical nature of the setting? Well, it's actually both. The story you know, usually gives you a clue of where you want to go in particular scenes, whether scenes want to be darker, gloomier, uh, brighter, um, sunstruck, gray, whatever, but oftentimes when you're dealing with real places, obviously, they also impact what we're going to do, and um, real places are actually usually picked for whatever they're giving you when you're dealing with locations, so you see picked for whatever atmosphere they provide, so in that case, usually you're sort of going with that, but hopefully you pick them in a way that coincides with the story, and in the end, most things come down to the story. You want to try to figure out what emotion you can perhaps generate with your lighting and your camera angles, depending on what's going on with your characters at that moment. But are you, are you still working within the confines of the show's overall look? Like, does it have to be glamorous? Uh, yes. It does, within reason, yes dark glamorous or bright glamorous, however you want to think about it. But yes, it has to be glamorous. But it can change. It can be dark glamorous. I mean, you can, you know, a silhouette can be glamorous. And often actually far more glamorous than something that's fully lit. I've had the opportunity to watch you work sitting over at Video Village, and, and I've watched you, you, you scrutinize each setup, and, and you're very precise with the direction that you give your camera crew and your lighting crew. What is it that you look for when you're judging an image? Ah, uh, everything. It's all about constant attention to details. It sounds boring. It sounds like uh, Mies van der Rohe, everything's in the details, and Steve Jobs, but it's all true. Everything is in the details, and you're constantly, you know, looking for that wall you didn't flag or that 
camera should be lower, lens should be tighter, perhaps there should be more light somewhere, perhaps there's too much light somewhere. So you're looking at all these things endlessly, and it all is in, it's always in flux. As uh, Tim Guinness, my associate and gaffer, says, lighting's never finished, you just simply stop doing it when you have to. We're actually upstairs from the stage right now, uh, and Tim is downstairs standing in for you while we finish up this, this interview. How would you characterize your relationship with, with Tim? There seems to be a lot of trust there. Oh, yeah. No, we're, we've done a bunch of, we've done many things together. We're very close. And Tim knows, besides having his own very good aesthetic, he knows what I like as well and is quite capable of doing it. Now, we, we, know, we know each other very well, and we're able to somehow, without saying much or doing much, be able to achieve what we want to achieve. I hear that a lot, though, from, from cinematographers oh, about... Yeah, that they have somebody yeah, that they work with, a gaffer, an operator, you know, a grip, that yeah, somehow you're exactly on the same wavelength, and you can walk away from something, and you know when you walk back... You're, you're, it's going to be fine. You don't even have to think about it. Where there are some other times you can't walk away whatsoever. Is that serendipity or is that something <laughs> no. that... Well, that yeah, you, no, it's somewhat serendipity. Or is that something you can also cultivate? No, that? no, you can cultivate it, but the basis has to be there. You've got to be either, for whatever reasons, they can be a completely different personality than you and usually are, and but somehow you're on the same wavelength and... You like the same things, and that's what you look for. You look for somebody, and somebody who's able also to do it, to execute it, but you look for somebody who's on this, has the same thoughts you do about something. That's too bright, that's too dark. I don't like that, that's camera, that lens is too wide, that, what have all those, you know, things. And you find that person, you try to work with them as much as you can. You used to be a gaffer yourself. Yeah, long time ago, yes. For commercials. Never did a feature. I never did anything but commercials, actually, as a gaffer. But I shot, th I shot a lot of things simultaneously while I was doing it. Mostly shorts and my own things. How did that experience as a gaffer prepare you for becoming a cinematographer? Oh, totally. I mean, you learn all about... Uh, gaffing, you learn everything about lighting. I mean, that's what it's all. That's what cinematography mostly is about. I think you can learn a lot of. You can learn camera much quicker than you can learn light. Light's more complicated, requires more time, more judgment. Camera, you can see almost immediately. Light, mm, you have to see the results before you really know, and you have to have done it enough times and had enough things happen that you know what to do when things change on you or when all of a sudden you're offered a challenge. You have some, ba if you have some background. So light, light, it's all about light. It seems very old fashioned in the way that the shots here uh, are composed. And you mentioned before uh, that you use uh, very specific focal lengths. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, th that goes back to sort of the basis. In a sense, this is like an old movie. 
the Hollywood, an old Hollywood, or actually an old Bertolucci movie, just as well. Um, in that, um, it, the focal lengths are basically sort of old Hollywood focal lengths from 25 to 105, or 25 to 125, I would say. Occasionally, obviously, you need very wide-angle lenses for something or very long lenses for something. But they're only really used for effect for a very wide shot or a very long telephoto kind of point of view. And mostly, the shots are very simple and I would say definitely old movie where the cameras are close to the characters so you feel like you're with the characters. You're not watching them from across the room. And those, those particular focal lengths give you that, I think. There's not too much perspective, there's not too little perspective. You know, somewhere between, I'd say, 25 and, 25 and 100 is pretty much where this show works. You've been working on the show pretty much from the beginning. And how has your approach evolved over time? This is what the... Third season. The third season. My heavens. Um, basically, it's becoming comfortable with digital. I, I don't think... If we were shooting it in film, I'd become more knowledgeable about how to do things quicker, basically because I'm shooting in the same sets over and over again, and I understand them you know, very well. So, And as time goes on, I understand them better. So that, that being said, uh, that's one thing, but I think the most the most changed thing is being comfortable with digital, which I was not in the beginning. Um, and this is my first real digital experience. Uh, and I would say that it took me almost a year to get comfortable with digital so that I felt confident, even though I'm seeing it, but mm, that I felt confident that I continues to get good images. You mentioned that the thing about lighting is that you have to see what it gives you to know whether or not it's working uh, with digital. Now you can see right away what it's doing. Before you um, you had to... Um, Imagine it. Or, or use... watch it on a set or look through a you know camera seeing on a small ground glass. Um, you become actually very used to knowing what's going to happen. That's the... Uh, when you're shooting film, if you've done it for a long time, you become very used to knowing if you do certain things, what's going to happen. Uh, obviously, digital, you, you can see it. So I, I'm doing pretty much the same things I did in film. A little more glamorous, shall we say. I didn't usually do those sort of films. But um, uh, I think the fact of seeing it simply makes all the decisions you make faster. That's my, basically, you see it and you realize immediately that that's going to work. Well, there's, there's the saying that if it looks good to your eye, it'll look good on film. Do you find that holds true with digital? No, 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 no. Digital's trickier than that. It's still a little, I'm still a little fooled. Sometimes I'll be on the set and I'll think something looks good and I'll go back and look at the monitor and uh, I find I've either overlit it, usually overlit it, um, so I you know, simply have to bring down the fill or bring down the, the general volume of everything. 
what's really changed is that I know immediately once I've gone back and looked at the monitor what what's going to happen. So that sort of moment of wondering or worrying about it has totally disappeared. And in a way, you can make decisions quicker. And also, you can see details that you never saw, which that's also the fascinating thing. I have a very good monitor, and I can see sort of small details that I probably would have let go in a film situation and fix them. Uh, you know, hot spots, dark spots, uninteresting effects in the corner, etc. Oddly enough, perhaps you got to worry about being too fussy. That may be the only problem in all this. But it's marvelous to be able to see things that, and also to see the way different lenses behave immediately, which is totally fascinating. How important is it to still be able to, to judge an image with your eye? Oh, whether you're looking at it on a monitor or whether you're looking at it in real life, it's totally important. There's no... You've got nothing else. I mean, uh, obviously your eye is not just your, it's your brain, it's your whole life. It's everything you've done. It's your taste. It's your education. It's your courage. Your, everything you are is in your judgment. So now I would say that, unfortunately, sadly enough, part of the magic of film was that it was somewhat of a guessing game. And you were pretty much the only one who could make the guess. So that was always a great deal of fun. And sometimes some certain amount of anxiety when you went to the lab the next morning. But uh, this, this still has all that. You have to look at the monitor and decide whether you've done a good job lighting this or not. Or is it hokey? Or is it overlit? Or is it underlit? Or is it not appropriate? Or are the colors wrong? Or et cetera, et cetera. Working with digital also brings this whole new technology into the mix where you have to learn an entirely new skill set, almost. Uh, I, I, I don't think you have to learn a new skill set in, in digital. It's the same skill set. It's, again, you're just applying in a different way. And basically, uh, the technical part of it, I'm not a particularly technical person. Um, it's I'm mostly, I would say, an aesthetic person who makes judgments on whether something looks good or not. How technically proficient should a cinematographer be? We should definitely understand all the basics. Uh, how, how this is actually working, how, how light works on the medium, the chip, or the piece of film that you're exposing, how all that works. Beyond whether you should know the intricacies of how recording works or post, um, beyond which how it really works I don't think is particularly important. You got to know though what the result might be if it's better to do one thing than another. Is it better to simply understand the process uh, and be an effective communicator than being the kind of person who is so focused in on, on the nuts and bolts? Yes. Yeah, it's much better and better to have uh, a strong aesthetic opinion about images, life, stories, all these things. Because that's the questions you're really going to be asked when you're on a set. How, how are you going to do this? How are you going to light this? How are you going to shoot this? Well, this cut, you get, you're asked all these questions continuously 
by directors, producers who have, you know, will this work? And mostly it's not a question of technically will it work. I mean, will the, will the signal reach the recording device? That hopefully, you know, is, that'll work. But will the whole, will the, will the images work? Will the images work together? Will they tell the story? Does the lighting work? Will it be interesting in the end? Will people understand it? That's what you really need to know and what you need to be able to tell people. And on another level, it's even deeper than that. It's you know all about your character and your nature, all the things you've done, you know, all the things you've learned, all the movies you've seen, all the pictures you've looked at, and, and all the things that have been taught you that was director of photography Fred Murphy, ASC, talking about his work on the CBS television series, The Good Wife. Thanks for listening. This has been the American Cinematographer Podcast. Thanks for listening. You can find more podcasts, blogs, and exclusive ASC content by logging onto theasc.com. This podcast has been brought to you by the American Society of Cinematographers a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting the art and craft of cinematography.